Hello and welcome to the Architects Garden Podcast, a place where we discuss the intersection of marketing, technology, automation, and strategy. As marketing ops gets more complex, we help you separate what's real and what's hype. I'm Kristen Malkovich. And I'm Grant Gregorian. And in today's episode, we're talking to Meg Getch, VP of Revenue at JW Player. Thanks for joining us, Meg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'd love to kick it off and just learn a little bit more about your company and, and then maybe if you could dive into like how you became VP of Revenue there or, or your, your career trajectory. Definitely. Um, so JW Player started off as a, a video player about a decade ago. So our, our, uh, our intro story is Google, you know, that before they had YouTube, YouTube was just created as a page and the player was a JW player. Um, so we were open source at the beginning. Developers loved working with us and that was kind of our traction in the market for almost, uh, half of our existence. Um, then as video technology was increasing in complexity, uh, we developed a platform. So now we're kind of the ultimate video player and platform. Uh, so you can serve ads through JW Player. You can recommend content to your viewers. Um, you, there's tons of analytics on the back end. And so it's a really exciting world to be in. Our, our target market is uh, the publishers. So, you know, Vice Media, all of their um video on the site is played through a JW player and they've got, you know, the whole platform behind it as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's JW player. I, um, my group is actually, I'm not VP of revenue, it's revenue operations. And I, I say that because, um, sometimes when you think of VP of revenue, it's more of a finance function, but revenue op- operations is actually within the sales and marketing and services organization. So the business side of the house. Um, and I came here actually from a long history in marketing operations. So I, um, I ran the marketing operations group from the ground up at MongoDB for about seven years, working with Marketo, moving over to Eloqua, scaling from a three person marketing team to over 50. Um, and I really loved the challenges that marketing operations had. It was really exciting discipline for me. I was always very frustrated with sales ops and trying to influence them to do things better for marketing, uh, to improve the sales process. And so JW Player came to me and kind of gave me the opportunity of why don't you take marketing operations and sales operations and customer success operations and put it all together into one group and you'll be the kind of operational um, support to all of the business side of the house. And, so, and that's what revenue ops is. That's really cool. Um, what, what are some of the things that you remember? I don't want to pick on sales ops, but I do, uh, just like, <laughs> what were they, why were they not doing this stuff or what do you remember? What were the, some of the frustrations? Now running sales ops, I will say it's so easy to be understaffed. I mean, the demands of a sales organization getting Salesforce or whatever your CRM is up to what you need it to be for the business is incredibly time intensive. Um, and if you don't have a developer resource in that group, you're going to be in even worse shape. Um, so I think my frustration as a marketer on the other side was, why aren't they moving fast enough? Um, and really now kind of seeing it from the other side, realizing, well, they, they actually didn't have the resources they need often. Um, another huge issue with sales ops is they often report right up into the, the head of sales 
And that person is going to be really strong at selling. They may be systems oriented, but likely they're stronger at selling and recruiting than anything else. And so you don't have the guidance uh, at that operational level for how and why you make decisions. So often you start making all these changes in Salesforce that one sales manager wants it this way. Someone over here said this thing. And all of a sudden you have this like patchwork Salesforce that doesn't work very well for anyone. Um, and so what I really love about the revenue operations group is that I'm almost like a third party. I report into the the COO. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking always for the strategy of the company. Of course, I'm I'm directly supporting our CMO and our head of sales, but I'm not kind of biased. And so I'm building a system that ideally would work for, for all the groups. Mm. And this is one of the questions uh, that we actually had in advance for you. Um, and this just thinking about, like I've, I've seen that more and more, this title of revenue operations and the operations kind of management being put into, you know, joint management of sales and marketing ops in this, like this hybrid role. Yeah. What do you think each team kind of gains or loses through this? Like, is it all, you know, like why haven't that happened? Why hasn't it happened before? And what are the, what are the, some of the trade-offs that, that you you saw once it's been like consolidated. Definitely. Um, so I don't think it happened before, and and again we're on this trajectory of technology being so pervasive in our selling and marketing tactics. And so as that was being entered into the org, you know, just by nature, you got an operations person within your own specific org, and they were just the person running, you know, the marketing automation platform or running the CRM. Now that we've kind of hit this like proliferation of there's so much technology on the market, so many decisions to be made, the way that I see it is, you know, there's actually so many, I hate to use the word, but synergies across the technology that you're bringing into the groups. So now that I have my sales ops and marketing ops just sitting right next to each other, we are sharing so much of the resources that in the past I would have had a data cleansing tool in Marketo and a data enrichment tool in Salesforce, and it would have all been different technologies and and creating kind of this duplicate budget. So one of my pitches to people if they're thinking about starting with this in their org is if you want to save money, you're, you're most likely going to by streamlining them all into one system. I think you've seen it in companies um, at just a broader level. You think about like an IT group within your within larger companies being formed. I mean, they're kind of making those decisions. Um, and I I think that's kind of how we're why people are starting to centralize it is it's their shared uh, skills across the functions and marketing and sales ops their shared technology. And let's kind of make the decisions for the best of both groups instead of having people focused only on one or the other. Um, yeah. So question, um, you mentioned that you report to the CRO and, you know, you're sharing all these resources and working together. Like, do you still consider yourself a marketer in a way like I'm I'm asking because you know we actually have revenue operations here and it reports into marketing and I was kind of joking just now with my um head of rev ops that I was like I you're a marketer too like me and he's like I don't think so so I'm curious how you you see yourself um especially now made the transition yeah no definitely um so report into the COO not the CRO so chief operating officer, um, which I actually really like in this role because he sees the whole company and the whole budget and kind of has this viewpoint that really allows me to make the right strategic decisions as opposed to reporting right into the CRO or CMO where they would be seeing it from their lens. Um, 
of course, I still consider myself a marketer. Uh, I, you know, have only been out of the trade per se for a year, but what's great about still having marketing ops in my group is I am still thinking about marketing and helping build up that team. And here, especially we had a very small marketing team. We just brought in a CMO a few months ago. So we're getting to build up the systems again and the metrics, um, which is something I just really enjoy doing. So it's, um, even though the title doesn't say it, I still think of myself as a marketer. You streamlined all of your reporting into like one group then like, do you share out the reports for both sales and marketing? Yeah, like all of it. Like no yeah. one does individual reporting anymore. The the reporting side of it is super interesting. Um, I think so. We're actually just in the process here of starting a BI group, which would be across the entire organization. So taking product data, you know, market data, sales, marketing, all of that into one group. And so they're kind of doing one set of reporting. The way that our group, the way that we look at reporting is we set up kind of the standard. We'll work with the, the stakeholder, you know, be it the CMO, the CRO, create the standard set of reports, the dashboard, and then just distribute that to the team, do the training, make sure they're maintained. Um, so I think of it as like the functional reporting, like the stuff that day to day keeps marketers knowing what campaigns are working, uh, sales reps knowing what accounts to target. That's all within my group. Then kind of go one layer up at the overall like revenue model goals and kind of tracking against that. Um, so it is kind of all out of my group, but we're always with the goal of enabling those folks that need to use the data to actually be able to use it. So it's not like we're just like holding the models and data not to be out in the wild. Like we want people to get insights from them, um, which is why it's separately different than like a BI group, which is kind of owning that at a more strategic company board level, like those type of metrics that people might not see every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting way to separate it. And I found that, that that's often helpful. Like there's the level of reporting that is uh, almost like operational reporting. Like I just want to look at some and it's embedded in the tools that you use, like whether it's like in Salesforce or like Marketo. And then there's like the deep dives, like the big, like a big, strategic question being asked and it requires a little bit more more like connecting of dots and a little bit more data gathering and cleaning and that kind of thing that bi people excel at you know what i mean yeah and i do i do have an analyst in my group and so we do a, like kind of we do do deep dives but like yeah to your point it's like how deep are you going or how wide are you going across the organization so we're always trying to you know think about territory management we own that kind of project. We're always reviewing the territory, seeing if they're working, revising with the with the reps. And so that can take a lot of actually data analysis to to understand if something's working or not. So we're doing that within within the group, but then, you know, distributing it out so the team can, you know, mm-hmm. see how their territories are functioning. Mm-hmm. So what's cool about like your your kind of uh, career and how it ended up being spanning both roles is that, you know, you came from marketing ops. And so I'm curious, like, what are the things that you have to, that you have to learn or kind of almost like rethink what you, from marketing ops point of view, you know, you learned that was actually either false or you had to um, figure out how to do, like, for example, you mentioned like territory management. That's a, that's a very like sales opsy thing to do. Uh, what else? What, what are the other things that you like had to had to, you know, in both in terms of skills and, and visibility into a broader organization? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you learn so many valuable skills in marketing operations and a lot of it, um, you know, implementing a marketing automation platform like that's a whole education in itself about how you normalize data and keep it clean, thinking about what's coming in and out of the system, um, how it ties into the funnel, you know, developing the lead lifecycle in the funnel for me was kind of when I really started connecting into sales because you're creating the definitions from, you know, lead, MQL, SAL and so on. And then you're you get that out and rolled out and, you know, sales trained on it. And then you start seeing the results and having those conversations with the sales teams of what is actually happening at those stages where you weren't being clear enough. Um, and so I ended up just from really building up marketing operations as MongoDB was scaling and more and more reps coming in, more training needing to be done and realizing where we, from a marketing point of view, had put together the most perfect solution we thought to how to understand the lead funnel. But then when it's actually with a rep, they're seeing things in totally different ways. I think about, I named a category, not a lead. So you could like on the lead status, just move it to not a lead. That basically says it's some category of junk or no longer with the company or whatever it was. And so in my brain, it just fell off the funnel. We don't want to look at it anymore. But to a sales rep, anyone that was not qualified was not a lead. So I lost my whole entire like remarketing branch to work through. Um, so lessons like that that happen all the time in marketing operations, you don't realize how much you know about um, kind of the, the day to day and operational cadence of a sales rep. And so that's what you can that's what's been really beneficial to me coming into the sales operations. Now, there's a whole side of sales operations that I'm very much learning, you know, around like more of the finance side, compensation, um, even territory management. They're more complex uh, and bigger kind of projects that you didn't manage as much within marketing operations. But there is just so much that, you know, from the fact that marketing feeds sales that that can you can bring over with you. And I'm curious, um, you know, you're talking about all the different things that you've been learning and working on. Is there anything in particular you've implemented recently or changed um, that you're particularly proud of or think is really cool or innovative? You know, I think um, so I inherited a an, an eight year old <laughs> CRM and with lack of real oversight um within the system so i've spent almost my whole first year just cleaning and getting things up to what i consider like a baseline standard um so what i'm excited for in 2018 is to be able to bring things to the next level um but it just took so much work you know it, data people talk about it all the time but if it's not clean and if it's not orderly like you really have nothing to go off of um so i'm proud of the work i've done there it's not innovative it's just getting things to the baseline. Um, you know, I think when we look at uh, 2018, I'm really excited about bringing in our product. I, you know, I, did, I wasn't in SaaS before at MongoDB. I'm now more in SaaS and being able to filter in product data um, to the reps, creating a territory model that they can understand to really be able to have reps prioritize their accounts in a certain way. And that's been something visible or visibility we haven't been able to have before. Um, it doesn't sound innovative, but to be able to get there is actually really difficult. Um, so it's been one of the pain points that I, you know, we're working towards. Mm -hmm. I've actually noticed that I, in some of the marketing ops people I've been talking to, it's funny you say that like finance type stuff, um, is not typically what we touch because it feels so far removed from marketing. You know, we, we're happy if we get it to, to talk about pipeline, 
you know, um, right. but, I'm, but I'm finding more and more that marketers uh, care about the products and what is being put into the basket, whether it's like, you know, on the, literally like a cart or in B2B setting, what the reps are selling and what the product mix is and what do the, because you could be a customer in one thing, but like a prospect in another thing. And how do you do that? You know, it's not even on the account level per se, because, well, in some sense, they're a customer, but they're not a customer of like everything. So we want to still market to them the things that they don't have. And it's a, they, I feel like what happened was that marketing really is kind of like invading into, <laughs> into all right. the different territory. It's not that they came to us, right? It's that we went over there and we're like, show us the products, show us the, who do you have? Who are customers? Who are this and that? And just like cleaning that house in order to be able to uh, facilitate communication and tracking and performance, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think ABM is like definitely part of that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. do you, have you seen, I mean, what, what's your take on the, the focus? Cause you mentioned lead life cycle. Do you guys think about like account life cycle? Do you think about like product life cycle? What do you, where, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, I think on the product front, um, and this is really exciting. I'm glad marketers are, are going there. I think it's something that's always kind of been in the DNA of a product marketing group, but now you're seeing it across broader groups. And in one way, I'm hearing the, the industry talk about it more as marketing is now revenue driven. And so you have that pipeline goal, you have that revenue goal, but we're actually adhering to it. And I think in the past, you always had that goal, but maybe it was more about MQLs. And so you weren't kind of feeling that heat if you didn't see those MQLs turn into dollars. And I think across the board, there's just a sea change going on there where it's about revenue. And so marketers are going to dig into, well, if it's revenue and we have this new product set and half of our legacy customers, you know, whatever it is, that's great. And it's really exciting to see that happening. Um, I was very, one of the things I was really impressed about GW players that has always been a mindset across the org and the product managers and with marketing of how do we kind of get adoption growing? And um, I think that, as a company culture thing is actually so important because that, that's the ultimate end goal, right? You want your product to be used and adopted and loved. Um, and then you asked a lot of questions at once and I'm forgetting all the other ones now. No, I was just in terms of um, the kind of like the downside of that though, is like just the level of complexity that. Right. We're, like I just, like I, I like, like for example, uh, I look at the serious decisions, like demand units, and we've had a couple of episodes on that. Um, and, and like operationalizing something like that just sounds so complicated. And like to get to the, to the complexity of the B2B sales process, it just like, it almost like, is it, is it worth all this like effort and, and energy? Like even lead life cycle is pretty hard to put in place. And now we're talking like right. product level things, like white spacing, account territories. Do you know what I mean? Like, holy cow, that's like a ton of infrastructure. And how do you, yeah, how no, do you deal with that? Like, where do you draw the line and say, you know what? We're just going to like be okay with this. We're not going to try to nail it. Well, and so this is, I think on the product level, um, this is kind of a similar exercise that you would do around an ICP. Like, okay, what is a customer? Like, so here, so at JW Player, we have player customers, and there a lot of our legacy customer are player only because when they started working with us, that's kind of what we were known for, and that's what we were 
we're still really strong in it, but that was like the go-to. So our uh, account management team is responsible for our customers are going, okay, how do I take a player customer and migrate them to a platform customer? And so then you sit down with marketing and you think about what is the attributes of, you know, be it usage, uh, use case of the customer that I could kind of start bucketing these these customers into groups so I can message to them just like I would if I message you to a specific job function and how to kind of bring them over that gap to onto the platform. And um, to your point about ABM, I always ABM is kind of a concept that's so much more than just about marketing. You know, it's in a similar way, like how do we take that customer, the player only customer, talk to them about what a platform for would do for them to in their language to their use case and then bring them over. That is kind of the most successful ABM you could think of. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. when you think about it from operational perspective is you don't need every single data point in the system, right? Like you just don't, that's why you have a data warehouse. That's why you might have a data science team, mm-hmm. but you can work with those teams to figure out what the most important signals are, or maybe it's as simple. And we've all done this as marketers creating um, an ICP or even a job, a set of job roles that we're going to target, you know, what are the attributes that I know that roll up to that um, tier one publisher that I'm going to have a certain type of conversation with? And you can look at it from, you know, all this stuff that you have in a scoring model. How big is a company? What's the industry? Where are they located? Uh, and then you could think about if they are a current customer, what are their usage patterns? Um, so it's almost like it's it's pulling out tricks that you've already had in the bag for a really long time and just bringing them to a new kind of a new application. So I just want to shift gears because we had a bunch of questions about sort of your career transition, which we touched on earlier, but um, curious if uh, you have any things that you've learned really early in your career that you still, that still apply today. Um, we had a couple of people that looked at your background and just said, you know, you were in PR and events then transitioned to marketing operations, now in revenue operations, um, and especially now that you're you have this bird's eye view of the company and what's going on. Is there anything that like has sort of been a constant throughout or anything that you've learned? Sure. Um, so I think it's, you know, in any kind of when you're figuring out your career, like just knowing what you're strong at. And so something I've always known in my life, I'm really good at planning and process um, and organization, you know, be it from like my closet being organized as a teenager to like, organizing Mark Hedden's email database. Um, and so I kind of, the the way I, I got into, so yeah, I was in PR and events for a long time, which is kind of that getting events happening kind of skill set. And then when I joined MongoDB, it was 24 people. I was a 24th employee. And I basically was hired to just be in like operational support. It was like anything non-selling or developing. And so I did all these different things, which kind of played on the skill sets that I was good at. I opened up an office. I managed our third-party HR provider. I um, did some invoicing. And then I started touching Salesforce and uh, eventually was brought in of like the two-person team to implement Marketo. Um, and so kind of continuing to know what I was strong at, I, I just took to Marketo. I was like, this is great. This is like the biggest organization project I've ever had. Like, I got it. And so I set it up. I, you know, I worked with our one content marketer at the time and got the, you know, the email copy built out the templates of their designer. I mean, we were a super small team and most of those people are actually like contractors at the time, but, um, kind of realized I really enjoyed that work and it was really meaningful to me. And I, and I didn't mind writing process documentation to train someone else on how to code an email, which a lot of people, and especially you'll see it at startups, 
hate doing. You know, they want to be out there with the customers or they want to be writing copy or they're just there's something else that drives them. Um, and so I just kind of like stuck to what I, I liked doing and learned um, through, I you know, I opened up like our, our email marketing program, our webinar program, um, which kind of had both that like project management, event planning and operational side. And I just kept kind of growing from there. And the nice thing about doing that type of role from a really small startup as it scales is that as you have more skills, the company is scaling up and is having more demands of you. Um, and so it's always been a very natural progression of my career. I think this is moving over to revenue operations was the biggest kind of getting completely outside of my comfort zone, uh, even though it was probably kind of thought in my head, oh, I totally got this. I've always wanted to run sales ops. But now once you're in the seat, it's totally different. Um, and I'm, I've been learning every single day since I moved over. Uh, but that's kind of sometimes the only way to, to get a new set of skills. It's funny you mentioned the closet thing because that's how I always talk about my skill set too. I'm like, my whole life is organized, so I'm really good at organizing things and making processes, um, including my closet. Thanks, Mom. Mm. What does that say about me? I I am super disorganized, man. <laughs> well, I think also too they talk about how there's two types of creative people, like some that thrive in order and some that thrive in chaos. Um, so you might just be the, the chaos one, which is also good. I've been, I guess what I've, my, where I've, the reason I've been attracted to a lot of these tools is the ability to like tinker and experiment and try new things. I have always, so I guess I'm always the person who like starts the Marketo project and it's like, oh, this is so cool. We could do this and we go, oh, okay, so. Now somebody really needs to own this and manage this well going, going, cause that's not going to be me. I'll move on to this other next thing. Uh, I, I kind of relate to that too, but I, I'm not as experimental. I think, I think I'm more like looking at the problem and fixing it and, and making the process from the person that's experimented. I do like experimenting, but I like a process around it. Mm -hmm. So Megan, you're in your, in your background. I see that, um, you also went to business school. Was that helpful for, would you recommend that for folks in marketing and marketing ops? So I'll say continuing to work full time and going to school is difficult. So um, uh -huh. But uh, I, you know, my, my undergrad degree was in, I thought I was going to be an artist or something in the creative field. So I studied uh, basically uh, like art film theory. And I went to Brown University where you didn't have to choose, you know, you weren't forced to do any class. So I got into my concentration, which is this weird artsy theory world and just stayed there. <laughs> um, so, you know, as I was getting more involved in the analytical side of marketing operations, I realized I just didn't have that tool set that I, you know, hadn't really worked that side of my brain formally since high school almost. And so I knew that I needed the MBA because I just needed exposure. Um, and I knew that I wanted to, you know, kind of get a little bit beyond just marketing, be able to look at a company holistically, be able to function in different groups. Um, so for me, it was crucial. And I, I don't think it's for everyone, um, but I, I really needed that. You know, I think about like getting another bag of tools kind of, you know, like I needed to take that time and and learn those concepts, uh, be re-exposed to certain types of thinking. Uh, and I would say, like, for the current role, I could not have done that leap without the degree. What about um, the role of video? So, I, you know, I don't know if it relates to your major, uh, uh, but the you know, I, I, 
a JW player being a, a video player, do you, how do you see the role of video in marketing and marketing automation? I mean, I feel like it keeps trying to kind of come up, come of age and really be used a lot in marketing. And we definitely see a lot more of it, you know, this year than we did last year. Every, every year there's more and more video. Um, do you, do you guys do a lot of internal, you know, almost like meta videos, videos about video player? Um, what's your take on that? So here, like we don't produce that much video. I mean, we have a lot of, um, we have really great documentation and some videos that kind of support learning how to work with the tool, things like that. Um, from a market perspective, I mean, so we really, our top tier customers are, are going to be publishers. That means they're producing their own content in some way and they want to monetize off of it. So you can think of anyone from a top YouTube channel or a top Facebook account where they're using video. They can bring it onto their own site, use our ad tool and really, you know, engage customers that way um, to a, to an established publisher. I, I think the stats that I've seen are people are going to be consuming content via video more and more. Um, and and that's really in a, a consumer context you know you're going to be watching the news versus reading it you might you know watching movies versus reading books potentially like that kind of trend that you see happening more in the i find it interesting in the business space you know there's this whole kind of movement within the sales or to like video message and every time i get a sales rep reaching out with a video message i think it's super creepy Mm -hmm. but you know if you look at the business trends like oh but that's where it's going so i i haven't really seen that business use case of like, instead of writing an email, I'm going to record a video and send that yeah. to you. Um, and so we actually don't specialize as much in this kind of like marketing uh, use case, mm-hmm. but we have, we have the ability, it's just we're going to focus more on, on getting our, our ideal customers kind of happy and, and productive. Um, but I'm interested to see, I, I still, I think the jury's still out on if, how how business becomes video oriented if it's not a live call? Um, yeah, I, I I also think it's kind of weird. I, but I also but I think it might be generational. I see yeah. a lot of kids getting yeah. <laughs> pre-recorded both voice and video. You know, just trading video messages back to back back and forth. I mean, it's basically what Snapchat is, right? Right. And, um, but I don't. It's not cool with me. <laughs> I don't know. I always feel weird doing that. I guess video, I don't know you either of you think, but I'm not sure video goes hand in hand with ABM. Um, I mean, if, if you're talking to the right person, perhaps, um, the right buyer, but I think the idea behind ABM is to like understand the business as a, as a whole and the user and, and the entire business unit as opposed to like the individual. And I feel like the video is more focused on like one person. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to make a video that like spoke to the entire department for your product, perhaps, but I feel like those two trends are like not in line with one another. And the, obviously the evolution of ABM has come about because we've automated everything. Personalized stuff means something. So it'll be interesting to just see how those two things play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, the one thing about ABM is like giving a customer like an across in a company, a sense of personal touches and, you know, one thing I saw in that video example you were giving is actually stop, you know, doing the holiday card through this video where like 
you know, they have that area that pops up and it displays whatever customer is looking at it, their company name. And I think those type of nice touches, almost similar to like how direct mail is becoming part of ABM because, you know, you get that package with the branding on your desk and like you're like, oh, they gave me a gift. Kind of, you know, I feel like they're thinking about me. Um, so I do see it like kind of building up that ABM sense of like we, we're thinking about you. Um but the only time I've gotten the video message and was not creeped out was a holiday card for whatever reason. I agree. I, I like them in when they say, like, click here to learn more about me. And it's more just like you get to see the person and them talking. Uh, but they're not really doing it for you. You know what I mean? Just to humanize them. I feel like that's fine. Um, but there's a, there's definitely a line there. Um, I wanted to ask a question that's about Marketo. Um, there is a... Mm -hmm. There's another theme on this podcast is like women in tech. And one of the hypotheses that I like to uh, bring up is this idea that, you know, we had, or maybe it's not really Marketo, although Marketo did this well, but marketing automation in general had this effect of taking like normal marketing people, um, a lot of whom had just happened to be women and kind of like forcing them to become good at technology and then be thoughtful about life cycle models and analytics and organizing things and kind of like gave up uh, an easy introduction to tech. And then some of them just ran with it and, and, and built careers on that. And, 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 and in, in some sense, do you think that that's true? Was that true for you? And, and what role do you think it had on, on, in your career? Uh, both as like a, as a as a woman now in revenue operations um, and as a as a marketer who now has this broader responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I find interesting the way we phrase that is if you look at like the beginnings of computer science, it was mainly driven by female engineers. Um, and you know, mm. there's the famous. I mean, th th there's been a lot of kind of movies and things coming yeah, up yeah, around this that. concept, but it was a lot of women that were able to go in, understand the playbook of rules, and kind of make the machines run. And I think it speaks to a certain skill set potentially that women have always had. And then this reverse thing that happened in the 80s or whatever. I think it was 70s, 80s, where like all of a sudden it became a very male-dominated culture, primarily because of the video game industry, and that was so targeted to mm. to boys. And so then boys were like, okay, let's start playing with these computers and, and mm -hmm. making my own video games. So that's actually, we are a product of that cultural shift. Um, so in a way, I think of it not as, you know, marketing automation platforms. You know, their whole concept was marketers need to be able to do this, these marketing tactics because who else is going to do them? You know, before I remember I had a boss that was, uh, had worked, you know, she had a really long career in, in the early 90s, like writing her own SQL scripts to get her email segment uh -huh. and then try like loading that into some other tool to send an email. And just like, you know, it was really there was a lot of barriers to entry. Um, and so that's what these marketing automation platforms broke. And so I think it's um, I think having a technical skill set at this point, be it, you know, you're a server and knowing how to use a point of service tool to, you know, any kind of group you're in, you're going to have to be technically sufficient or savvy in it. Um, and I think that's just more of a, a, a change in how we look at work and what we expect of people. You know, that bottom of your resume, what are your what, what t talents or skills do you have? Everyone puts Microsoft suite now. 
Um, but that in itself is a bit of working with the technology and knowing how to play with it. So, mm-hmm. and you actually can't put that now because it's so it's it's implied. Like if you put that you're right. good at Microsoft <laughs> Word, I'm worried. <laughs> I have a question. Uh, just curious if you're seeing, you know, now that you've kind of transitioned over to the sales side, I'm kind of going off of the women in tech thing that Grant brought up that we have been talking about. Do you see? you know, like a boys club going on with, with what you're at or like where you're at and, and who you're working with, especially I would say on the leadership side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one thing that's great about JW players are really diverse and open workplace, like just been really impressed um, by them. And we're still 200 people still relatively small, mostly based in New York. Um, so although, you know, there aren't actually a, that many women in the leadership level, I'm one of three. Um, it's still an open and, and safe work environment. I think I can say that, you know, in sales, um, it's frustrating. I, I wish there was more of a diversity on, on sales teams. And one of the things, the hardest things you see is on, you look at, uh, look at our SDR org, almost 50% female go to kind of the next tier, which is like our commercial SMB team, a little bit less go to our enterprise strategic account team. No women. And then you look at sales leadership, no women. Um, and so it's like, what can we do to to encourage women to keep um, pushing through sales? It's not an easy job um, and to to stick with it. And, um, yeah, I don't really have an answer for that, but it's it is something you know, I saw it at MongoDB. I see it here. It's kind of industry standards, but it's um, something we need to kind of make it make more of a space for for women to be in those leadership roles in sales. Well, thanks so much um, for your time and for answering all of our really detailed questions about revenue operations. I think we're all pretty excited to meet someone that's pioneering it because, like you mentioned, that I think people are going to evolve towards it more and more. But really appreciate having you um, on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.